Lord, you hardly need our help, but it is our prayer that you would be magnified in us, that we would continue to worship you with our lives as we would leave this place later on or perhaps from our lounge room at home, that our whole life would exhibit the life of Christ, crucified and risen, the Spirit of God at work within us, that we might be the true living stones, the house in which you dwell, our God, in all our daily activities. We pray, God, that as your word has been proclaimed through the sacrament, might it now be the case that we will be truly open to what your word is to be as it's proclaimed. For we dedicate this to you, in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. We continue in our series on Paul's letter to the Church of Rome, to this infant Christian fellowship of believers. In the first part, Paul has been developing his theology, his understanding of who he is, of the cross of Christ and the resurrection, the hope that we have in Christ. And then from chapter 12 as it commenced last week and then into chapter 13 and following, Paul is looking at the practical application of our faith. And so last Sunday, this kind of was giving the word, it was almost like we had a checklist of do's and don'ts, knowing, of course, that what we do and what we don't do comes out of who we are, comes out of our understanding of the gospel. And so today we're looking at chapter 13. In a sense, there's a, a couple of more things that Paul adds to this checklist. that We might want to tick off and assess ourselves to see whether we are living the Christ life. And so we're looking at seven verses today from Romans chapter 13. This is what it says. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. Are you with me? For all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right and they will honour you. The authorities are God's servants, sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants, sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes too, for these same reasons. For government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them, Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them and give respect and honour to those who are in authority. 
It's pretty simple, really. Don't break the law and pay your taxes. We could have a prayer, sing the final song and go home, couldn't we? If only it was that simple. So we've got the opportunity to unpack this a little bit and see what the gospel is saying to us in this passage and some other passages that we can consider as well. The situation in Rome, of course, was very difficult for Christians. They were very, very vulnerable. They were endangered because of their faith. It was a very pagan, strongly political, militaristic society. And so they felt that they needed some help and they were persecuted. Paul was saying to them, it's best for you if you don't get on the wrong side of the authorities. It's a pretty sound and encouraging word, I would think. But it's not only for their safety. Paul, in this particular component of his writing and in other sections, is really developing a theology of society, an understanding of how people can live together in harmony, the rules and the regulations that govern how people relate one to the other. And it goes back to Old Testament understandings as well, particularly as Abraham was the father of the humankind, the Jewish people, and the laws that were given through him and the way that they were to live as they discovered how they could relate to each other in society, and then particularly with Moses and the giving of the Ten Commandments, the covenant means by which the people were to live together under God and relate together in harmony. And so Paul is developing this on the run, so to speak, as he is writing. And so what we find is that the Bible becomes the very foundation in which society is based, the way that we operate, the laws that are established. Much has been written about this recently. In fact, there's a book I've been dipping into that's entitled The Book That Made Our World. And it's arguing that Western society, democracy, as we experience it today, is based upon the Bible, all our laws, even though today many would deny it or perhaps refuse to accept it, it's the Bible, it's the Christian faith and Christian understanding that has actually created the society, the freedom in which we live within certain boundaries, of course. And so we're going to look a little bit at the place of law and authority in society or the rule of law as we might describe it. So Paul says, right in that first verse of chapter 13 of Romans, that we are to obey the authorities because God has established them. What we have in the systems and the structures and the patterns of life in our community is God-ordained. But what Paul is saying, I believe, is not that we simply obey the authorities, but we obey the authority. We consider the regulations, the laws and the structures that are the important thing. It's the law and the regulations that the authorities uphold. Why is it so important? I think that because God knows that we need structure. Isn't that right? We do need some systems by which we are able to relate one to the other, that we can live peacefully together. We have laws. 
For example, marriage from a Christian perspective is considered to be a covenant relationship between a man and a woman. But you know that when you get married, you have in-laws. Isn't that right? By marriage, certain relationships are called in-law relationships. It's recognising that it's within the regulations, within the structures of society. But we also know that there are boundaries within which we live as communities. And it goes right back, of course, to Genesis chapters 2 and chapters 3. Because we know that Adam and Eve were living in the garden. There was a certain freedom they had. All was wonderful. However, there was a regulation. There was a restriction placed upon them. They could eat of anything in the garden except there was a particular tree from which they could not pick the fruit and eat it. It was forbidden. What they do? They broke the law and they suffered the consequences. That passage is actually saying to us that, yes, we've got wonderful freedom. As Christians, we've got great freedom, but we practice that within certain boundaries, certain regulations that govern how we are to live. So Paul is referring to this. He's saying, look, you've got great freedom in Christ. Christ has set us free. But at the same time, you are living in society, so it would be in your best interest if you obey the authorities. And so today, in our community, we've got regulations and we've got authorities that make sure that the law is fulfilled. So we have police, we have lawyers, we've got judges and other agencies that keep us within the law. That is the requirements of living in harmony and peacefully within society. Those laws are there to protect us. We could talk about other agencies that we've got. We've got border security. We've got the commission, independent commission against corruption. We've got lawmakers and we've got law keepers, all there to regulate life, to protect us and to enable progress so that we can walk the streets and feel safe and that corruption somehow or other possibly could at least be controlled if not wiped out totally. So I've got a few questions for you. Have you ever broken the law? Mm-hmm. I have to say, mm-hmm, I have, sometime or other. For example, here's some subsequent questions. Did you fail to state that you had a wooden object in your luggage when you returned from overseas? Hmm? Have you ever brought fruit or vegetables into South Australia, even though you drove past sign after sign after sign that said, you're entering a quarantine area, fruit and vegetables are forbidden here? Have you ever been tempted to pay cash for something in order that the supplier could avoid GST and you could get something a little bit cheaper? Have you ever ignored a no camping sign? When was the last time you got fined for speeding? Or even a parking ticket because you parked where you shouldn't have? Have you ever leant over a fence to pick some fruit that actually was in somebody's boundary? Have you ever, ever, ever misused 
your employer's sick day provision. In our minds, of course, there are levels of violation, aren't there? Some misdemeanours seem worse than others. And so we always say the punishment fits the crime. You've just been a little bit bad, so a little bit of punishment. Really bad, big punishment. But Paul is saying it's not just a matter of whether you get punished or not. He concluded that section by saying that you might have a clear conscience. Isn't it good to have a clear conscience? To be able to at the end of the day say, I've messed up a little bit but not too bad, I can sleep well tonight. And I also know that I'm under grace, God's grace. So we've got these regulations, we've got certain laws, we seek to abide by them. We break some here and there. We've probably broken one or two already today. Could have. But we're under God's grace. And God's love for us and his forgiveness is, of course, so powerful for us. But there's a bit more to this. We want to talk about us, we as Christian people and how we relate to the law. So we're going to compare Romans chapter 13 with another passage that will come up on the screen. It's from Acts 5 and verse 26 to 29. And this is what it says. And just put it in context, this is Peter now. It's not Paul. And it's Peter long before Paul came on the scene. This is Acts chapter 6. We don't read about Paul until Acts chapter 9 with his wonderful conversion on the road to Damascus. But this is in Acts chapter 6 and it's in Jerusalem and the apostles particularly Peter and his colleagues, have been preaching the gospel, but it's been forbidden by the authorities. They're not to do it. Stop it. It's forbidden. You're breaking the law. That's what they were saying. This is what happened. The captain went with his temple guards and arrested the apostles, but without violence, for they were afraid that people would stone them. Then they brought the apostles before the high council where the high priest confronted them. We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name, he said. Instead, you filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him and you want to make us responsible for his death. But, the, but Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. Wow, the cat's amongst the pigeon already, isn't it? There are overriding principles that would dictate how we deal with authority, that guide Christians in the way that they live in society and when it might be that a certain law is questionable, comes under scrutiny and may need some pressure upon it in order for change to take place. And historically that has happened globally and it certainly happened in South Australia. In the late 19th century, there was a huge movement called the suffragette movement. And there were women, Christian women, young and old women, walking the streets of Adelaide and other places, arguing and pushing and politically active in bringing about a change because up until then, only men could vote. That was the law. But Christian women challenged that because they knew that there was something better about society. And, of course, South Australia was the first state. In fact, it was the first place globally where women were given 
the vote. They could vote for people in parliament and later on, of course, where a woman could gain parliamentary election. What would Paul advise people in modern democracy who face injustice? What would Jesus say about that? Those in countries where Christianity is banned, where evangelism, open evangelism, sharing of faith is not permitted. Barnabas Fund, for example, reports imprisonment for those people who in some countries have been accused of blasphemy just because they've named the name of Jesus or proclaimed the gospel in public. They've been imprisoned and suddenly some have been executed. What would we recommend to Christians who live in an autocratic country, an atheistic country, a pagan country where the Christian faith is outlawed? They're big questions for us. And even today in our society, we've got Christian organisations that help us think through some of these things. We've got the Australian Christian Lobby. We've got Family Voice. We've got other organisations that today seek to protect people from questionable legislation. Only recently we heard reports of what is now called the Manly Seven. Seven brave, very brave players of rugby who chose not to wear a particular Guernsey on a certain day because it was contrary to what they believed. And they suffered the consequences of that. But they stood up and they held fast to what they believed, even though it went against the so-called authority. That's what they did. This can challenge us at times when we consider that a law is unjust or that perhaps the leadership is lacking integrity. History has shown time and time again that for significant change to take place, for there to be equity, for there to be justice, there is a place for civil disobedience. There is. It's only in the mid-50s that a black woman sitting on a bus in the United States, sitting in the place that was designated for black people because they were segregated, a place for whites and a place for black, but the bus was full and a white man entered the bus and demanded that she give up her seat and she didn't. A Christian woman, Rosa Parks, she was arrested, she was put in jail, she was later released and she became a wonderful symbol of a movement called the Civil Rights. And even the Reverend Dr Martin Luther King constantly referred to Rosa Parks and what she was able to achieve as she challenged an unjust situation and broke through. And we know that even today, Countries like the United States and even as still struggles with the whole question of race and how we live together in community. There would be times when each of us might be challenged to stand against a law on moral grounds, even to suffer the consequences of such an action if the cause is close to our hearts.
At the moment, I'm sure that all of us are praying for the people of Ukraine. And do we pray for the people of Russia as well? Particularly some of those Christians who in Russia who are totally against the invasion into Ukraine, but are fearful of standing up and expressing what they really feel deep in their hearts as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and consider this invasion to be evil. Oh, we must pray for them. Pray for them. I think about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, whose life stopped way before it should have because of his wonderful intellect, his deep theological thought. Just the few books that we've got illustrate what a wonderful faith he had, but who's involved in a a plot, a conspiracy to get rid of Adolf Hitler during the Second World War. He was arrested, placed in prison. He wrote letters and papers from prison. It's a beautiful little booklet you can get a hold of. But he was executed just a little while before the Second World War concluded. A person who, because of his faith, stood against tyranny, stood against the authorities that were doing the wrong thing. And we know that those in authority have got a great responsibility. You think of people who've been elected recently, either in our state parliament or federally. They've got to tow a party line. There's pressure upon them from different sides. There's the electorate that they represent. And then they've got their own conscience and their own principles by which they live. Let's pray for them. One thing that Paul wrote when he penned his letter to Timothy was that we should do that. It's in 1 Timothy and chapter 2. He says these words, I urge you, first of all, pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. So might we pray, not just pray for the immediate needs that we might have, but have a a bigger, a kingdom perspective and pray for those in authority, pray for those who are in government. We might not agree with their state, state of mind on things or some of the legislation, but pray for them. We are urged to pray for them. But there is more because we've got the law. I've talked a little bit about how we might wrestle with the law and perhaps get involved politically in some way that might help the law to be changed. But Jesus takes us even deeper. Let's have a look at this. Matthew 5, 20 to 22, and then 43 to 48. Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking about authority, but he's talking about something that is so real that it takes us even further in our understanding and, of course, in our behaviour. Is it coming up? Matthew 5, 20 to 22. But I warn you, said Jesus, unless your righteousness is greater or better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. 
But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. And continuing, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. That word perfect there doesn't really mean perfect. It means to keep growing, to go deeper, to gain greater understanding and to act out of a centre of, of who you are, who you are in Christ, because that's really, really important. So our righteousness, said Jesus, must exceed that of the authorities. In other words, we go beyond the law. It's not just obeying this level of law. It is, it is, it's exceeding it. And it's as we, as we grow more into the story of Jesus and the story of Jesus gets into us and becomes our story, then we're able to act in that way. So what is important for us as Christians, as followers of our Lord Jesus Christ, is not what should I do? The prior question is, who ought I to be? Who am I? I'm a son or a daughter of the living God. As the letters of Peter tell us, you are a holy nation. You are God's own people. You are priests. You are brought from darkness into light. There's something that you have which is a kingdom perspective. It, is, it goes beyond the law of the land. It goes beyond international relationships. It is a kingdom perspective and the kingdom is within you, said Jesus. The kingdom is within you. That means, of course, that we interpret things differently. You shall not murder, said the law, but Jesus said, don't even get angry, overcome your anger. What about the Eighth Commandment? It's very simple, the Eighth Commandment. You shall not steal. But kingdom people would say, how do I actually go deeper with that particular commandment? It would be like this. It's not just theft and robbery that's punishable by the courts, but it would be all deceitful tricks and devices. It would be any unjust weight that we might be using. It would be any inaccurate measurement that we'd be tempted to use, any exaggeration beyond the truth, any false reckoning of time spent in service on your fill-in sheet, any improper claiming of living away allowances, any fraudulent merchandise, any exorbitant interest, ever any overstating of experience and qualifications on an application form, any of that anything at all that would be a violation of kingdom perspective, anything at all that would be taking advantage of another. For Jesus says, love even those you call your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. 
Jeremiah 31, 33 puts it so well, as God speaks through this wonderful prophet, this is the new commandment I make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my instructions, my law, deep within them and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. In other words, have a soft heart. So you could have a really hard heart and obey the law. But when God works on us in such a way that our heart becomes soft and pliable, then we know that we are loving, we are forgiving, we are praying for those who are in authority, praying for those that might even in some way offend us and hurt us. And so we might pray as the psalmist did, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Yes, we are to be law-abiding, but more so. There are times when the law might be challenged and we get, might get involved, prompted to get involved in political and social action in order to bring about greater justice, more equitable laws. Could be also that we might need to go deeper if God is challenging us in that way. That we don't just obey the law, but we go beyond the law. For the law says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and even the laws of the land say that. For if you do this, this is the consequence. But Jesus said, you might do this, but I forgive and I love and you're still my beloved child no matter what. Does that sound okay? I thought it wasn't too bad. Let's pray. Lord, we know that we are not simply to be known by our abiding by the law. We need to obey, but more so. We're not only known by what we do, but how we think, our behaviour, our demeanour, our love, our care and our generosity. And Lord, you know that we know that you take us way beyond the law. So we pray that you might give us a kingdom a kingdom understanding, a kingdom mindset. Lord, at times we feel that we are strangers in this land, almost like foreigners. We belong to another kingdom altogether. But you've placed us upon this earth and you provide the, the means, the regulations, the laws, the principles by which we are to live. We pray, God, that you'd help us to be law-abiding. But also we pray, help us to know when we might perhaps participate in some way to bring about better laws, even better regulations in the, in the workplace where we spend a lot of time, in the church, in community, in recreational activities. Lord, we thank you for systems that operate, but we pray also that you would help us to refine those where necessary, that there be greater freedom within the necessary controls and boundaries. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us always to have the mind of Christ, that we might know that we 
are people who receive the law and abide by it, but also you take us beyond it to go the extra mile, the extra yard to express love and generosity, to be true to ourselves and true to you, to live the life of integrity, whether we're in public or totally alone, that we would be growing in you, serving you and honouring you with our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.